Welcome to the Kalos Church Podcast. We're honored that you join us here. Kalos is a poorly pronounced Greek word that means beautiful. We chose that name because we believe that the words and ways of Jesus are very beautiful. And so each week we're bringing content to help make known that beauty. So let's go ahead and dive in to this past Sunday's sermon. I want to ask you this question. Have you ever felt like you were forced to do something? Maybe you felt forced to sing happy birthday publicly. Maybe uh, you felt like someone forced you or coerced you to come to a church service today. There's a, a passage in the Bible, the inspired word of God, where someone seemingly is forced to be at the feet of Jesus. And this is someone who's paralyzed, and we don't actually hear him say anything, express agency about going to Jesus, but his four friends bring him in a really crazy way to Jesus. Let's read in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, starting in verse 3. Four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. They couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Then they lowered the man on his mat right in front of Jesus. So four friends are forcing Jesus on this person who is on a mat, bring him through the roof, carrying him when he couldn't carry himself. And it seems like he didn't really have a say. I mean, you can kind of relate to that. Yes, I have been forced to do something I don't want to do in my life, and this man made me do it. And this is what it was. This is really crazy. Uh, he made me, several years ago, run a marathon with no training. All 26.2 miles of it. He guilted me. He manipulated me. He forced me to do this, and I did not want to do it, but I did it because I'm a good wife. You know, in my defense, I saw a lot of people around me who are a little too confident about running 26.2 miles. They had these little cocky stickers that they put on their cars with their mileage, and I thought you know what, I'm going to do it without training, and we're going to bring some people with us to do it. And uh, it's intense. I mean, running uh, 13 or 26.2 miles is intense, yeah. but guess what? We did it. We did it. And listen, this is what we did. We actually like made our own bibs. We started like at some sort of starting line that we made up, okay? And we uh, we did. Now listen, the only reason we can say we ran a marathon is because in each marathon we ran for a little bit, okay? We ran every mile of it. A little bit in every mile. We ran, yes. And we did do that. Now I don't know if you know this, but doing this kind of thing to your body with any without any kind of training can actually cause permanent damage to your body. One of our friends actually has a little bit of a permanent damage situation going on because he did this crazy thing, even forced him, forced. Pray for Ben Black. Yes. <laughs> uh, but we did it in how many hours? Okay, this is impressive. We did it in only 13 hours. <laughs> Okay, which exercising for 13 hours is hard, okay? Anybody here exercise for 13 hours? Okay, and uh, that's faster actually than one official Olympic time. Yes, the guy broke his bone in the middle of the race and completed it 10 years later, 
but we beat his time. <laughs> and so we're faster than one Olympian. And uh, I don't know how we would have completed the mileage without our mid-race Frappuccino in Starbucks in Subway. I don't know how people run marathons without it, but we did it. We did it. We did it. And listen, at the end of the marathon, we get to probably like the last three or four miles. And literally everything below my waist just shuts down and decides to stop working. I can't get my legs to do what my brain is saying. And I was in so much pain. And Pradeepin and a few others actually had to carry me across the finish line because I couldn't walk. And I was so angry and so mad that my husband made me do this because I felt humiliated that they had to carry me across the finish line. <laughs> Can we give it up for Pastor Amrita for finishing the race? Any, any fellow marathon runners here? Any fellow marathon runners? Awesome. We're all equal. No. We're all on the same page no. here. I feel the spirit of unity, right? Yeah. We're but, all unified. Yeah. Amazing. And so Amrita relates to being forced across the finish line. Maybe she didn't want to run and kind of bringing it back to this passage about this man. He's paralyzed. He's on a mat and his friends force him through a roof to Jesus. It's kind of a crazy story. Yeah. And you may be somebody here today who has felt forced or even just reluctant to come to church or to engage with Jesus or to engage with spirituality. And I don't know about you, but sometimes we just get stuck in our spirituality. And it feels like, how do I break through? How do I keep going when I just feel like I have had five or 10 or 15 years of just feeling like I'm stuck in a rut with my spiritual life? Anybody been there before? And I think sometimes church can be a really intimidating place. We know that. And sometimes our own hearts, our own guilt just gets in the way and is what gets us here. And we understand that. We understand that church can be a crazy, intimidating place. I mean, at the end of the day, there is a giant crowd sitting right here. And social anxiety is a real thing that some of us deal with, right? I think some of us, we walk into church and we just feel a little bit judged, you know? Like, can everybody see what I just did last night? I hope they can't, you know? Or we feel triggered. I mean, I have walked into church, maybe you have too, I've heard a lot of testimonies where people have walked into church and they are immediately triggered because there was church hurt, there was pain in the past, there was abuse in the past in the church, and a lot of times you come in and those kinds of things just wake up and you're like, I can't believe how much church trauma I'm dealing with in my own body as I walk into church, right? Do you know that there's actually an official term for this fear of church? It's actually called ecclesiaphobia. Ecclesiaphobia. It's the fear of churches, and it pertains to two separate fears. It's the fear of the actual church building itself, and it's the fear of what the church represents. Isn't that crazy? There's an actual term for this. I want to read you a short story. It says this, a mother went to wake up her son for church one morning, one Sunday morning. When she knocked on his door, he said, I'm not going. She said, why not? Asked his mother. I'll give you two good reasons, he said. One, they don't like me. Two, I don't like them. And his mother replied, well, I'll give you two good reasons why you will go to church this morning. One, you're 47 years old. Two, you're the pastor. And that's how I met your mother. Wait. <laughs> and so, 
If you're feeling this kind of this anxiety or this fear of the church, we want to share some encouragements. And the first one, we just want to put the cards on the table, full disclosure, especially as pastors who are part of starting into churches, we want to bring people to Jesus. I mean, this is why this church exists, to make known the beauty of Jesus. And so honestly, I can relate to these four friends who said, our friend is struggling, maybe Jesus can heal him, so let's get there. And then they see a crowd and they say, we need to get to the roof. We need to dig through this roof, make a hole. I don't care if I'm destroying property. I don't care if I upset this neighbor. We're getting our friend to Jesus. And like we said, we have not heard from this man on the mat. We don't know if he has any agency, if he wants this, if he even likes this. But the four friends insisted on doing it. It kind of reminds me, like, six years ago when we said, we're moving from the Midwest to Seattle because this is the Pacific Northwest, the most unchurched region in all of America. Let's start a church there. And then we came and people are like, do we really need another church in Seattle? There have been some big churches that have collapsed. Do we really need people from the Midwest to start a church in Seattle? And they're like, a little resistant. I don't know if you need to be here. And we started our first church in a comedy club the Parlor Comedy Club. Anybody go to that club back in the day? All right, all right. To church, to party. Let's clarify, to church. All right, Carmen. (laughs) So we would wake up early morning, there'd be vomit all over seats, and we'd be cleaning. We didn't feel like we belonged, but we went where we didn't belong to help others to belong to Jesus. And so we, uh, surprise, surprise, we got kicked out of that venue <laughs> as they closed down. And then we went to the W Hotel. We also got kicked out of that venue as uh, they moved on from us. Then we went to the Hilton Garden Inn and the GIX. We've had like 20 plus venues. And it always felt like we are kind of inconvenient to the people that were hosting us. Like we didn't belong, but I'm telling you what, we went where we didn't belong to help people encounter the presence of God. And we've seen so many lives change, people getting baptized, experience a fresh start, people who are battling with identity issues or addictions or their marriages are on the verge of falling apart, people who thought they would never have a family or things like that. We've seen miracle after miracle at the feet of Jesus. Like even today, I'm, I'm like looking at Austin Hinn, Jimena, you just got married, right? Congratulations. It's incredible. And I'm like looking around this room, I see uh, Nathan and Yuna and their baby ever. Oh my gosh. Cutest baby ever. (laughs) That's the name of the baby ever. And so (laughs) it's it's just been incredible to see what happens when we bring people to Jesus. And so, uh, you know, today you might feel like a perfectionist. You might feel like you have to take care of yourself. But today, we just want to propose that you can receive more than your own strength and your own self-care. In fact, we are a community that exists to help you when you can't help yourself. We are a community that exists to help you encounter the presence of Jesus when you don't have the strength to go there by yourself. I mean, the good news of the gospel is that God helps those who can't help themselves. And even from the beginning, We've been very clear that we didn't start this church because we're super holy or special or any different than you. It's because we freely receive love from Jesus through his church, and we want to pass that on. You know, many of, my, many of us know the story about how my family came as refugees from Sri Lanka to Minnesota in a civil war. My family was going to end their life by jumping off a bridge. This was before I was born, my mom, my dad, my sister. But then a pastor, he intruded. 
He meddled in their life. He went where he didn't seemingly belong to help our family. And he said, you can live with me and my family, with my wife, our three sons in our trailer home. My family moved in, experienced the love of Jesus. My family went from wanting to end their life to feeling optimism for the future. And they got pregnant with me. They had optimism to create a new life. And I'm telling you, my family was helped when they couldn't help themselves. And the good news of the gospel, something we want to make clear for all of us today is, God helps those who can't help themselves. That's the grace of God. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Amen. The second thing that Jesus did that's so amazing in this scripture is that he didn't hesitate to forgive the paralyzed man. Now we're going to keep reading in this scripture because a couple of dramatic things happen. In Mark 2 verse 5 says this, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your sins are forgiven. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or stand up, pick up your mat, and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. So can you imagine in this moment, this man who may or may not have had any say in the fact that these friends picked him up and brought him to Jesus, they pushed the guy through a roof, and now he's standing before, or sitting, he's laying before Jesus, he's right before Jesus, and Jesus looks at him, and he does something that they were not expecting. He says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And I can imagine that in this moment, this guy is like, what? Like, what? This is Jesus, I'm before him, I'm so confused. He's saying my sins are forgiven. And then imagine what his friends thought. They brought this guy to Jesus, and I've imagined that they're thinking, Jesus, we brought this guy to you, and that is not what we brought him here for. Like, please, would you heal this guy's legs, you know? Have you ever felt surprised by forgiveness? Have you ever felt surprised by a debt that has been forgiven? This happened to Pastor Pradeepan and I. When we moved from Michigan to Washington, we quit our jobs, we kind of left everything back, and we came out here, and at one point, as we were starting to get the church off the feet, we had $3,000 to our name in our checking account. And $3,000 is a steak dinner in Bellevue, is like how much it costs, okay? Like we didn't, anyway, so. So we were like, what are we going to do? Not only that, but we had a lot of college debt still to pay off as well. Actually, uh, Pastor Pradeepan had over $100,000 of college debt. And so here we are, already five years into marriage. We feel like we're following God. We give up everything. We come here, and we are broke, right? And so we're thinking, God, would you help us figure out how to pay off this debt so that we can start at least at zero and go up, right? And one day, Pradeepan came to me, and he said, Amrita, the loan company, has actually sold my loan to another company. And he said, so I saw it as an opportunity. You're never going to believe this. And so Pradeepan said to this new loan company, I'm going to read it so I can say it correctly. He said, listen, new loan company, I will pay you the minimum $30 a month until the $100,000 is paid off for 250 years or I'll pay you $5,000 right now and you cancel the rest of the debt. And they said yes. They said deal. 
Isn't that incredible? I mean, we felt the surprise of a debt being forgiven. Some of you have forgotten all the Jesus stuff. You're like, I need to go check my account. (laughs) (laughs) I got some ideas. So we were surprised. We were so surprised by this debt that had been canceled. Like literally it just been canceled. We didn't even feel like we deserved it. But here it was canceled. And so is this man who is coming before Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and he says, listen, your sins are forgiven. Why was this so important? And why was it more important in that moment than Jesus just healing this guy's leg? Well, one thing we have to understand is that in this culture, if you were paralyzed, if you had some sort of sickness in your body, if something was going wrong in your family, it, it was a consequence of the sin of your life. It was like God was punishing you because surely you did something and your sin has now caused you to be a paralyzed person. This was the thinking, this was the culture in this time. And what happens? Well, not only was this guy already ashamed that he can't walk and his friends pushed him through a roof, but this guy is also experiencing societal shame. He's already feeling the shame in his life, right in front of all these people. And what does Jesus do? He looks at him and he says, my child, your sins are forgiven. And he speaks directly to the shame that this guy was experiencing in his life. Because listen, God doesn't just care about our physical bodies. He cares about the holistic person that you are. And he cares deeply about your heart. Your heart for him really, really, really matters. You know, I believe that maybe some of us even walked in here today with heavy hearts. We walked in here today, maybe you're like, I feel real doubtful about this Jesus. I am not sure where I'm at. I feel really angry all the time. I feel bitterness in my life. I just feel sad all the time. Some of us have come in here today with hearts that are deeply, deeply wounded. And some of us carry around so much shame that we need Jesus today to look at us and say, hey, you are forgiven of your sins. You are free of your shame. You know, even as a pastor, I have to be honest with you, I had to recognize a few weeks ago that I was carrying some resentment in my heart towards some of my family members. And it was causing me to distance myself from them. And I realized these are people that I love. And it's this resentment that I have in my heart, this anger that I have in my heart. You know, I actually called one of them this week because I knew that Jesus had forgiven my sin, resentment in my heart was sin. And Jesus so took that from my heart because he cares so deeply about who we are. Did you know that God's kingdom, in God's kingdom, you can be uncanceled? You can be forgiven, you can be free of guilt, and you can be healed. Dwight L. Moody says it like this, the voice of sin is loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder. Is the voice of forgiveness louder in your life? I pray that it would be. You know, I think if you're sitting here today and you have all these needs, right? You say, I need more money. I need healing in my body. I need my kid to not act up so much or whatever that is. And what if God is saying out of all of the needs, like he said to this man, hey, I just want you to know that your sins are forgiven that you can be free of your shame. You may not feel like that's the greatest need that you have in your life today, but Jesus cares more about your heart and your body being in alignment with him than anything else, amen? So I wanna share with you today this. The Pharisees, you have to understand, were so angry. 
They were so angry because they were okay with a Jesus who healed people's bodies. They were not okay with a guy who was going to say, I have the authority to forgive sins. You know why? Because a guy who says, I have the authority from God to forgive sins is someone who's claiming to be God. And Jesus, in front of all these people, is saying, I am God. I have the authority to heal sin. Is that you today? Is that you carrying a heavy burden? Do you need forgiveness? I mean, let's be honest. Some of us, we not only need forgiveness from Christ, we need to figure out how to forgive ourselves. You know, for some of us, that's a word today. To realize, I think I've actually experienced the forgiveness of God. It's me. It's me that can't forgive what I've done and how I've harmed myself or how I've harmed other people in my life. There's a beautiful scripture in Micah 7, 8, and it really just shares the character of God and his forgiveness. And it says this, Micah 7, verse 18, where is another God like you who pardons the guilt of the remnant, overlooking the sins of his special people? You will not stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing unfailing love. Once again, you will have compassion on us. You will trample our sins under your feet and throw them into the depths of the ocean. I just want to tell you today, Kalos, that Jesus does not hesitate to forgive you of your sin. Amen? Amen. Amen. The third encouragement we want to share from the scripture is people can bring you to Jesus but only you can choose to follow him. In this passage, we see what Jesus is thinking and saying. We see what the religious people are thinking in their hearts. We see the intentions of the four men bringing their friend, but we don't see anything said or done by the man on the mat until we get to verse 11. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And so at this point, point, the man has to make a choice. Do I believe the words of Jesus? Am I going to obey the words of Jesus? Do I even trust these kind of words? And this is what the man does. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked out through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, we've never seen anything like this before. And so we see the efforts and intentions of other people, but it's only in this moment where we see the man make the choice for himself. I'm going to trust and follow the words of Jesus for myself. We come from different families of origin, and maybe you had a praying grandma. Maybe you had a family that was religious, or you come from this heritage of a different religion than even Christianity. But there comes a point in all of our lives where we have to say, following Jesus is my choice. My journey, my faith, my belief system isn't just something I have to opt into because my family does it, but because I want to choose Jesus for myself. Nobody can claim the faith of our family as our own. We must choose Jesus for ourselves. There was a phrase I grew up with that sounded kind of weird when I first heard it, but I've come to believe it, and maybe you've heard it before. It goes like this, God has no grandchildren. Have you ever heard that phrase before? God has no grandchildren. Well, it's kind of speaking to the fact that we all have direct access to God. When Jesus instructs us to pray, he doesn't say, pray our grandfather or our great-grandfather in heaven. He says, no matter what your age is, pray like this, our father. 
right? No matter what your age is, even if you're with your earthly father or with your earthly daughter, you still pray our father because God has no grandchildren. I wrote it like this. God has no grandchildren. We all have direct access to him as sons and daughters and can't claim the faith of our parents as ours. And so just what does this mean? It means if you don't have a personal faith, you don't have faith. Because when it comes to eternity, God isn't going to ask you, hey, what, is, what does your uncle think about me? That's not the question. He's going to ask, what do you think about me? You know, your uncle is going to do what your uncle does. But you have to choose, what do you do with Jesus? And some of us have inherited patterns. I, I remember this story about a young girl. She's at a family gathering, and she says, Mom, why do you cut off the ends of the ham put it in the pan, and then place it in the oven before cooking and baking this meat. And the mom says, uh, well, I think it has something to do with absorbing more juices, but I, I did it because your grandma always did it, and I learned how to cook from her. The little girl goes to grandma and says, grandma, why do we cut off the ends of the ham and then put it in the oven first? And she says, well, actually, I, th I think it has something to do with the juices, but that's the way your, your grandma, uh, uh, great-grandma always did it, and so that's how I do it. So the little girl goes to great-grandma. Great-grandma, why do we cut off the ends of the ham and then put it in the oven? The great-grandma said, well, when I first got married, we weren't very rich, and we couldn't afford a big pan. So we had to cut off the ham so it would fit in the one pan we had. But because great-grandma did it this way, grandma did it, and then mom did it, and the little girl, she wanted to ask why. And at some point, all of us have to ask, why do I follow Jesus? Or why do I believe what culture has taught me? Or why do I believe or operate in this way? We can't just like do it without thinking for ourselves. We need to make a decision. What are we going to do with Jesus for ourselves? Are you tracking with me? Yep. I love this quote by Sharon Hottie Miller. She writes, you can be Jesus to people, but you can't be Jesus for people. You can be Jesus to people. You can be the hands and feet of Jesus, but you're not the Savior. You cannot be Jesus for people. We're never going to replace Jesus. Everybody needs their own personal relationship with Jesus. Can I get a good amen? And so today, on this birthday celebration, we just want to be clear. It's time to make the decision to follow Jesus for yourself. Not because you inherited it, not because of social pressure, not because everybody's doing it, because you recognize Jesus loves you. He wants to free you and help you and give you life and life abundantly because he loves you as his own son and daughter. And we don't want to just have an inspirational message about this. We want to actually help us all walk into a personal relationship with the Savior of our souls. And that's why we're excited. On this sixth birthday, we're excited to announce that we're launching what we're calling Freedom Groups. And these are small groups of about 10 to 14 people to help us follow Jesus on a more personal level, to help us not be so intimidated by theology or the baggage from our past, but to learn how can I pray on my own? How can we read the Bible for ourselves? How can we hear the voice of God and be delivered from some of the things that are holding us back from moving forward in our life of faith?
You know, we have these amazing small groups that we've been doing every fall. I want to show you some pictures of some of our past summer small groups. You can see we have different people from different ages and stages of life. Like we'll have parents groups or young adults groups. We'll have men's groups and women's groups. People gathering sometimes over a meal, over activities, and then studying this curriculum to help us learn what are the words of Jesus? How do I apply this in my life? How do I follow the ways of Jesus for myself? And so today, if I could give you one homework assignment, it's this. Would you just uh, make the first step in saying, I'm taking my faith seriously by expressing interest in one of these groups that will help us follow Jesus for ourselves? In fact, if you go to go to our website, kalos.church slash groups, you'll see this is our sign-up page. And I'd love every single person in this room to fill out this form because what we're going to do is going to take your details of what works for you time-wise, what works for you as far as different areas of Seattle, and then we're going to slot leaders for all these different kind of groups. And if you would like to lead or host a group, you can fill that out at this form too. But it would be amazing if all of us filled this kind of form out so that we could start divvying up different groups for us to follow Jesus for ourselves. Can we do that, church? I think it will be a blessing for us to all go to Jesus for ourselves. And before we pray, I just want to close with this story. I remember as a young man, I was, you know, had been arrested. Drugs were being sold out of the basement in my house. Our house had been foreclosed on. My mom was living out of a car. It's just a dark time in our life. But then I, I, I decided to follow Jesus for myself. And honestly, I was going in one way, but then surrendering to Jesus completely changed the direction of my life. And I was so thankful that I went from death to life. But I went to Sri Lanka a number of years later, and I remember meeting some of my family for the first time. And I had begun the journey of studying to be a pastor. And I, I met my grandma, and I said, hey, I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a Christian. And she, who is a Hindu, she said, you, you're not a Christian. You're Hindu. You're born a Hindu. You'll always be a Hindu. I'm a Hindu. Uh, your parents are Hindus. My parents are Hindus. My grandparents are Hindus. This is who you are. And I just said, Grandma, that may have been what our family did, but I choose today to follow Jesus. And as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And I appreciate you. I respect your culture. I honor you. But I will only follow Jesus for the rest of my life. And that's my decision to make. And I've never regretted that decision. And our prayer today is that you would make that decision for yourself. And so even right now, we just want to create a holy moment, an opportunity for people who have walked into this church service, maybe a little fearful, maybe a little anxious, but today is your day to follow Jesus, to make a decision. You know what? I'm not just going to hear stories or see people I respect following Jesus. I'm going to follow him for myself. Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. We'll be back here every week with fresh content. But hey, I want to give you an invitation to our Sunday morning service. We'd love to meet you in person. We have multiple service times every single Sunday morning in downtown Bellevue, Washington. If you would be interested in joining us, just go to www.kalos.church. All the information you need is there. You can actually even click a link to sign up and save a seat so we can help make sure you feel comfortable coming and hanging out with us in person. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next time.